problem with that is if chances of DH, you cannot pinch run for Alejandro Kirk late in the game if you don't have another catcher. 4D chess from Josh. Everybody write this down. So Schneider did have a thing yeah. to say. Or it's like these guys need to understand their speed a little bit better. A signed ball that you know, it has to say it's like Barry Bonds signed and then home run champ signed by Aaron Judge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And welcome to episode number 249 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we are only too happy to start counting wins after game 162. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the insightful Nick Dyka. Nick, welcome back. Hey, good to talk to you, Greg. And the always friendly and dulcet tones of Joshua Housem. Josh, how's it going? Not too bad. And it's my tones that are friendly, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't approach Josh at the ballpark now that you, you know, he's not friendly. Uh, we have a lot to talk about because uh, the Blue Jays are on a bit of a tear to finish the year. They have uh, acquired home field advantage. What else have they accomplished in the last week of the season? Well, we're going to talk about all the things they needed to do and what they did. Uh, who's hot? Mostly hot. There's really not anybody who's not, which is, is kind of cool. Um, uh, highlighted by Jansen, uh, Merrifield, Springer, and of course... Pitcher of the Month, Alec Manoa. Uh, we're going to talk about that upcoming wild card matchup with the Seattle Mariners of all of all teams. We have, of course, your questions. And then we have a gold star to one retiring all-time great uh, who somehow managed to defy the odds and get himself 700 home runs. And then we have, uh, we have a do-over for this playoff format that doesn't actually do anything for, I don't think, anybody. Um, of course, we begin with all the things the Blue Jays needed to do to get home field advantage, succeeding uh, completely. I think the Red Sox have maybe been the biggest Blue Jays fans of the entire uh, 2022 season. What do you think, Josh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jays went 16-3 and three against Boston. Um, that's pretty hilariously one-sided and you know they they needed to come in and they really need to sweep boston at the end of the season and they did it so good on them uh were you expecting nick that dominance to, to continue after the first you know what are five series where they were uh 12 and three <laughs> no or 13 I mean, and you, three? you can never expect to win that many games against one team and like i'm not good enough at math to figure out what boston's non- Blue Jays record was, but they must it was have over been 500. Like, yeah, yeah, they must have been over 500 against everyone else. Yeah, they did poorly against the AL East, but overall, I think they were 77 and 62 or 68. 77 and 68, 68. I think, against everybody else. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, I mean, sounds like a team that's that's almost ready to go place. So, I mean, all you got to win is four more games to hit 500, but, but no. Um, so do we chalk, do we chalk this late run? gentlemen up to the blue jays actually putting all of the ingredients together save that fifth rotation slot uh or do we chalk it up to um the opponents lying down a bit and uh and being less than optimal uh on their side go ahead nick i mean i just think it's variance uh i know that's kind of like a a bit of a cop-out answer but just like 
there's just so many ebbs and flows in, in baseball seasons. And if you're going to split it up into any, you know, 15 game chunk, teams are going to look a lot better than they do, than they, their true talent level and a lot worse than their true talent level. And I think it's just a, you know, a, a good swing in a season. If, you know, I know now that it's coming to a close, we kind of forget, but there's been tons of swings in this Jay season where they've looked awesome. You know, like the series against when they lost, was it three or four or did they get swept by the angels? And you know, they looked terrible. They swept. Yep. Yeah. They got, they got at home. Yeah. They looked so bad and that is not a good angels team. Um, you know, save Shohei and trout. So I think this is just how baseball is. And as much as I want to put something into this latest kind of hot streak, I think, you know, come Friday, it's not going to mean much. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that, but I also think there's a, there's an element of some of the guys on the team who were just hilariously underperforming for mm. a really long time. Like Teoscar Hernandez is, you know, we didn't mention him in that thing at the top of guys who were who are playing well right now, but he's red hot. And, you know, he's, he's OPS. He now has this highest slugging percentage on the team non-Danny Jansen division. You know, if we're qualified hitters, <laughs> he's number one. It's like he's got a 495 slugging again, which is better than Vlad, better than Springer. You know, an 812 OPS. And considering where he was three weeks ago, you know, when, when the J we talked about this in the last episode, but when the Jays offense gets performance down the lineup, which is the way they should be, given their construction, they're very tough to beat especially if you're not a great team, which the Orioles and Red Sox are not. And and, and, then, and they just showed it in those first two games against Boston, especially where they just destroyed them. And I have an aggregate score of 19 to nothing. I think it is interesting that, that we've talked at way back in spring training about this is a long lineup, thinking it was still top heavy in terms of uh, like Bichette and Guerrero and Springer. But knowing that, you know, you get down to six, seven, eight hitters and you still have decent hitters in that lineup. And it has been a much more, it has been a long lineup in the last month of the season. But without Lourdes Gurriel Jr., without Santiago Espinal, uh, and yet, and without that top heaviness, whereas like Vlad and Bo have individually had good stretches, but the top three have not all been going at the same time. But it's worked out because... Uh, your six and seven hitters are the best six, seven hitters in baseball by a huge margin. Statistically, yeah. Even even the eight and nine hitters in the Jays lineup, you know, when you've got Merrifield down there, he's he's not a terrible hitter. Um, I know he's had some terrible stretches this year, but he's. I think if you were to look at him, like who's hitting ninth for the Astros? Someone bad. I, the Astros yeah. lineup is very top heavy. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, speaking of hitters down the lineup, uh, Danny Jansen. He had the season you guys have wanted him to have for so long. So yeah, J Josh, can we take our victory lap yet, or do we? <laughs> yeah. Do so we need to wait till he gets to four hundred at bat? No, <laughs> screw that. This year and last year combined, do it. Yeah. It happened. It finally happened after all those years. I mean, the power has been the really incredible thing, right? Because like I mentioned, the qualifier, he's got a 522 slugging percentage. He's got yeah. 15 bombs in 212 at-bats because like, you know, when he doesn't walk, which is still pre pretty pretty often, he's got 25 walks and 245 plate appearances. But 15 bombs in 212 at-bats, if that's like, if you give him Vlad's at-bat totals, that's a 45 home run season. He really has 
like, and I know they've talked about this a lot uh, on like broadcasts and, and stuff. He's like changed his approach and he's like trying to basically pull the ball now. Um, and it's, it's led to, I guess, a little more in terms of, in terms of strikeouts, but um, because I know coming up, right. He, he was a guy who like walked more than he struck out. Um, he's not doing that anymore, but you know, I don't think you can argue with the trade-off and, a no. catcher who's slugging 520, like, no, you take that. Well, he no. leads the Blue Jays yeah. in OPS and slugging, right? He's got he's got the second highest on base percentage on the team behind only Kirk, the other catcher. Yeah, it's nuts. And like, the, okay, in a hundred and uh, in 140 games, he's got uh, 26 home runs, which is pretty great for for a guy who's as good a defensive catcher as him. Too, over the last two years. I think the Blue Jays have, uh, for the first time I've, I've ever been watching them, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to catching, both on the, you know, behind the plate and uh, at the plate. Um, well, it's I mean, just mind-blowing. Kirk and, and Jansen, both are OPSs. You know, we, we, there are other stats that are slightly better than OPS, but this is simple. Above 790, because Kirk is at 790. And by what weighted runs created plus, they are the two best catching seasons in Blue Jays history. <laughs> so it's not an optical, not yeah. a not a recency bias on my part, I guess. And then here's Gabby Moreno, who hit his first home run today as we're recording this. And he's a high contact guy. He doesn't have a lot of power, but he's hitting 300 in his brief time in the big leagues and much better than that in the minor leagues. And a tremendous throwing catcher, right? It's like they have a catching situation that is the envy of every team in baseball, including Baltimore, who has Adley Rushman, who is, looks like a superstar, but they just have Adley Rushman. Their backups suck. Yeah. And Rushman is it, o- older than Kirk, isn't he? Yeah, but regardless, I mean, Rushman is uh, Rushman's a better player than Kirk right? because he, he he can he's a switch hitter who hits for power and throws like, a tremendous thrower. So, like, I, I would take Rushman over Kirk in a heartbeat, as good as Kirk is. But Kirk is still really, really good. And he's the Jays' number two catcher. And they have Moreno, who's a star prospect, ready to go. So it's an embarrassment of riches, which is really interesting. Uh, who would have thought that all the catchers of the future showed up in the same two-year span? Um, we'll move on from catching. We should we should acknowledge that Whit Merrifield may have adjusted to the, uh, the Canadian air, finally. <laughs> To the point where he can hit again. Uh, that that uh, J&J vaccine finally kicked in. Yeah, obviously. Uh, real shot in the arm to this team. Um, okay. Hey-o. Yeah. One one vaccine joke per podcast is my personal limit. Uh, does this mean that, that it opens up uh, the flexibility to use Merrifield in the playoffs with, with less concern that he will be a black hole in the lineup, Josh? Oh, yeah. I think he's the unquestionable starting second baseman now. I mean, so with his time with the Blue Jays now, which includes that horrible start he had, he's hitting 286 with a 328 on base and a 454 slugging. That's a 782 OPS, which is pretty much what he did a lot of the time with Kansas City. Maybe a little more on the batting average, a little less on the power, but Kansas City plays in one of the worst parks for hitters in baseball. So... It's not crazy to think that Merrifield actually is his overall numbers, what he's doing lately, where it's like you know, it's just hitting bombs and doubles and everything like that. That's just a hot streak. But if you look at the whole line, that's what he's been. So he should start every game at second. 
unless there's a left-hander on the mound like Robbie Ray, then you could put him in left and put Espinal at second because Espinal destroys right lefties. So it's a nice thing to have, and I think it really makes the bottom of the lineup a lot better. Anything to add, Nick? No, no, I, I agree. Yeah, with with his track record, um, I think the guy we've, we've seen lately is – is closer to, to the real player than the one we saw, you know, at the beginning of August uh, when he was struggling uh, so mightily. All right. Um, we hear on the broadcast, if we, if we don't mute it, about how great George Springer is in the playoffs. Um, I think that's because George Springer is just great overall. But um, I assume, Nick, that you are looking forward to uh, George Springer leading off uh, against the Seattle Mariners in, in the big time. Oh, absolutely. And what's kind of been interesting about Springer's second half is he's come on lately and it just kind of goes to show you like you just don't know how injuries are really affecting these players because I know when Springer was struggling kind of again and and was it August he was he was really scuffling. It's like September. Yeah, it's like his elbows his elbows bothering him, like how effective can he be? And well, apparently pretty effective. So it just goes to show that like when these guys are playing hurt it's it's really hard to tell or to know what what's being affected and and how how good they can actually be and i think on that note i think it's important to discuss the you know like they they jays have talked about it like no one is at 100 percent at this point in the season right yeah yeah you know, they're they're they've gone through 160 games this is they're playing number 161 as we record this even in the we record in the afternoon, we still somehow record during games. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new rule but, we didn't know we developed. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, it you know having guys who have gone through this, like you know the whole playoff experience thing, I think it's overplayed. But I do think there's an element to understanding when you need to ease back and when you can really need to turn it on a little bit towards the end, and so that you have have that energy to perform at the end. And he has it. I mean, his yeah. track record in in the, October is speaks for itself. I don't, I'm not saying I expect him to go hit four home runs in the wildcard series, but I do think he's at his best when he needs to be at his best. Cause he knows how to do it. Who's the player who said, it's not that I get better in the postseason; It's just everyone else gets worse. I don't know. I thought, I thought that was like an interesting and kind of like good quote. Cause you know, you can, you can see Springer like literally in the games today, he's, He's always like, it doesn't seem like he's a guy who gets rattled. He's always relaxed and kind of like, you know, being warm and affable on, in the dugout. Uh, and I wonder if those are the kinds of things that like help him succeed in the playoffs because he's not being kind of overtaken by the moment in kind of like a, a negative way. Certainly this is a team that has uh, playoff experience all around. But if you're talking about really going deep in the playoffs, George Springer is the guy who I think if I was in the clubhouse, I'd be asking about how to approach game to game, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Last of our individual player highlights has to be Alec Manoa. Holy cow. Like, I did not think he had another gear. I was wrong. <laughs> he, has, he has the the best single se- single month ERA in Blue Jays history, I believe, 0. 0.88. Um, for for September, for September, and that 0. 0.88 was across six starts. 
You know, right? right? Like sometimes like, oh, God, will have a four-start month. But no, six starts. And he went at least six innings in each of them, went eight in one of them. And three of them were shut out. Yeah, if, if they, Justin Verlander had not been resurrected from the dead, you would be looking at a, like, Cy Young candidate season. He'd be in the serious conversation for sure. It's like, I mean, of all the times to put it all together and uh, to sort of ease the worries of those who think that he's up at an innings limit, I think that September says a lot about how healthy and how strong uh, Manoa's Manoa's routine has has gotten him to that point. Yeah, and, and I, there's a very fascinating article that came out about him on Fangraphs. I think, I'm pretty sure it's Fangraphs. About it was him and Kirk specifically, and the shadow zone, which is the edges of the plate, and how he really dominates in those areas. And Kirk is one of the best framers in the game in those areas, which is why they're such a match made in heaven as a duo, and why Alec Manoa can throw 41 innings and give up only four runs despite only striking out 33 batters because he works these edges of the plate and changes speed so well. And he gets the calls there because he has a catcher who is good there. And I just thought that was really good. And people should go read that article. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it there's, there's always another layer in baseball, right? To what you see uh, right off the top to the stat line. There's usually some other, underlying thing um that applies to each individual situation when someone actually gets you know figures it out and and has a chance to look into it i find those are the most interesting takes on what's going on so all of this leads to alex first start in the playoffs uh game one in toronto against the mariners could you set it up any better nick no well i to kind of go on what what Josh had just been talking about. Like, um, I think the only question is like, do you start him Manoa over Gossman? Because by some of those more traditional metrics, like strikeouts, walks and things like that, Gossman is arguably having a better season than Manoa. Um, and I know some people would maybe feel that the things Gossman is doing are more sustainable than kind of the shadow games Manoa's played to, to be as effective as he is. So, I mean, they're both awesome pitchers. To me, the only question was, yeah, who, who gives you the better chance of winning the first game? I don't, even, I don't necessarily even think that matters, but it had to be Manoa. Just with how he's pitching and with the fact that he's lined up before Gaussman in the, ro in the rotation, right, in right. terms of rest days. Like, you wouldn't want Manoa going out there with seven or eight days rest. That would be, you know, for, for a guy who does require to be, you know, rely on being sharp, that's not really a great recipe. I think it's hard to argue that Gossman had a better year, even though he had the bad BABIP and all that. Like eventually, like it comes down to your ability to manage this, the you know the circumstances you're dealing with uh, on some level. Like I look, I I know that I, I don't think Gossman deserved an ERA as high as he had, but I think that being able to get weak contact, which we know it does, to the to extreme levels is just as valuable as strikeouts maybe not just but it's it's, it's up there like the, the idea of like the fip concept right it doesn't reward manoa for jamming a guy and get a slow roller to second any more than it would if a guy hit a laser in the gap which is a problem with the statistic josh's least favorite right. pitching statistic for those of you who haven't been listening to the podcast by for far a long time. it's not even close <laughs> yeah 
and like I think ERA is a very flawed stat too because it you know, relies on official scores making nonsense decisions about what's an error and but I do think it it, it just the amount of, like the way you keep runs off the board as a pitcher and the contact you generate is a thing but regardless these guys are one two and they're both healthy because Gossman had the little finger cut but he always gets those they're one two and they're rested and ready to go for the postseason which is amazing that they were able to get that I um I do think that the fact that the, the the Blue Jays' weakness in the rotation has very obviously been the four or five slots, or you know, or they very obviously had a great one, two, three for most of the season between Manoa, Gaussman, and Ross Stripling. Once he you know settled in, um, this sets them up well to play uh, a short series against Seattle when they're at home. Um, is it Robbie? Is Robbie Ray the matchup versus Manoa? No, um, that'll Luis Castillo will be the guy. Well, that that hurts too. <laughs> <laughs> so, here's a fun one: Who would you guys have rather played, given the choice, Seattle or Tampa? I they yeah, Seattle. Nick, I I think Tampa. Um, I too. know Josh. I was chatting with you about this last time we hung out, but. I have a sneaking suspicion that Shane McClanahan's not totally over uh, his shoulder injury. Um, Tampa's offense, I think, is significantly worse than Seattle's. And I think I think even I'd rather face Tampa's bullpen than oh, the, me too. the Mariners' oh, bullpen. I think the Mariners' bullpen is way better. As good as Tampa has been, you know, it, over the years, they've got a lot of injury problems. Posh is out. He's out for the year. Yeah. And and the Jays have faced those relievers so much that they've started to hit them a little better. Like in the last series, they took way better at bats against against those guys than they had earlier in the season. Like they tuned up Jason Adam a bunch of times, stupid homophobe. But the, the Mariners can can run out of real a bullpen. There's like four guys throwing a hundred with wipeout sliders starting in the sixth inning, which the Jays really struggled with the first, last time they saw it. And you know, I, I just neither think, of yeah. you, neither of you have taken into account the emotional damage that I have suffered watching Tampa Bay for years and years. <laughs> and I really, yeah. <laughs> but think about how great it would feel to beat them. Um, yeah. And the other thing that James and Tio, he and I have talked, been talking about this, and I totally agree. One thing that Seattle has that Tampa does not is power. And I think that Tampa's hitters are better than Seattle's hitters in terms of putting the ball in play. But in a playoff series, everything can switch on a dime if someone hits a two-run homer. And you look at Seattle's team, they've got Suarez, Julio Rodriguez, and Haneker who have big-time power. Then you got guys like Cal Raleigh, Carlos Santana, who have legitimate power in their own right. And, and, you know, it's just the kind of thing that couldn't change a game at any point. So it's, I, I like the Tampa matchup better, but I still think Toronto's better than Seattle. Ah, yeah. it, it's important. In terms of Seattle's lineup, they, they, they've got a couple guys too that haven't had great years, but I think are like significantly better players than their 2022 season. So I think Winker's hurt though. Is Winker hurt? Cause like the, Winker destroys right-handed pitchers, which basically 
is all Toronto has. And he, yeah, he's had a, he's had a tough year. Is he, oh, do you mean like playing hurt or on the IL? They just put him on the IL today. Oh, damn. With a neck strain. Okay. Um, yay! Yeah, him, not not him for his, his injury, but yay, we have, to, <laughs> yeah. have to watch it. <laughs> um, so Castillo in the first game. Um, what is the what is the Seattle rotation lineup? Because I obviously I know the Toronto rotation. Well, we don't even know Toronto's yet. Technically, we don't know who's going game two. It could be Gossman. It could be Stripling. They haven't. They, the Jays haven't said. But the reason that they might not they might do it in that order because if you win it in two, then you can start Gossman in game one of the ALDS and have him pitch twice. But the Mariners have an interesting thing because they've got Ray who's pitched kind of poorly of late and a left-handed pitcher. And then they've got Gilbert and Kirby who are both excellent right-handed pitchers. So I'm not entirely sure how they're going to do this. I assume Ray's going to pitch just because he's their $125 million man, but I don't know that he is. And Robbie Ray had a season where he started very, very poorly picked it up to an extreme degree in the middle of the season. And now you're saying he's kind of tailed off here in September. So 2021 again, 20, 2022. Uh, oh, 20. I'm saying like this repeat of 2021. <laughs> uh, um, he was, he was worse for longer to start the season. <laughs> yeah. But like in his, in his last five outings, he gave up four runs, five runs, none to Oakland and then two and then six all in, six or fewer innings. Well, the only time he went six was in that game against Oakland, who's Oakland's awful. So who knows? I, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they roll things out because they have four very good starters. Yeah. The short series always adds a, a wrinkle of, of who are you, who are you most confident in today as opposed to who are you confident in over the course of, you know, 30, 30 starts. Yeah, which is why it's it's hilarious to say it, but who there's no case for starting Jose Barrios in the first round. No, no, of course not. Absolutely but that's, not. Like the idea of saying that before the season, you'd, you'd be laughed at. Well, he does have the worst ERA of any qualified <laughs> AL starter. So, you know, at some point that became a less less weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah. Do you keep Barrios on the roster? Is he the fourth starter on the roster? For I the... think he wildcard series i think he's the long man in case something goes awry like an injury does, does that limit though his ability to start say like the second game of the wildcard series or something like that if you well if you, you deal with that if you need to right i mean yeah yeah like if he has to come in and pitch in game one or two in the bullpen for a couple innings then you suck it up right like mm-hmm. you got you got to win the games first and then deal with the alds once you get there yeah I was I was thinking about this, and I don't know the answer, but uh, this this Mariners J series might have more Canadians in a playoff series than any other uh, like baseball playoff series because you've got well if Toro makes the roster, well Toro and they got Matt Brash if he makes the roster, and then yeah. on the J side you got uh, Romano and Vlad and I don't Pop. think we'll be seeing Otto Lopez, but but we will see Pop, <laughs> oh, Pop yeah Pop too yeah um. So, uh, there obviously we know who the starting nine pretty much are going to be. You, like you said, Whit Merrifield's going to play second base if if there's any sanity in this world. Um, but Santiago Espinal came off the DL today. What happened with Lourdes Gurriel Jr.? I missed it, to be honest. They're, not, they're both in Toronto uh, play, do taking at-bats against Julian Merriweather and Matt Gage. 
And I think the gauge will be the gauge. Haha. <laughs> I think the test will be if you can hit a home run against Julian Matherweather, you're healthy. If you can't, you're on the IL. <laughs> okay, so I I have a question. Why wouldn't they keep Merriweather and Gage in Baltimore for the double header? Just thinking that you don't want to burn a lot of the pitchers that are going to pitch in the wild card series. Like, couldn't they use Merriweather and Gage's innings in this game that's starting in 20 minutes or whatever? Yeah, they could. So, but what they did in game one kind of showed what they did want to do. They used Simber. They used Garcia and Romano. Garcia and Romano, and they had Richards open it. And then Phelps is starting this second game. I think they wanted to get these guys an inning. And then you just assume that Kikuchi and Lawrence can get you the rest of the way. It's like, I don't care if, if Casey Lawrence gives up 14 runs. You're throwing six. <laughs> and they proved that by letting Mitch White hang himself out to dry in the eighth. <laughs> well, <would> they... <laughs> here, here's the thing. It shouldn't be too much to ask Mitch White to throw four innings and have an ERA under nine. Right? Like, you yeah. should be able to do that. Against the uh, Orioles. I, I had a couldn't. tweet where I begged him to just be mediocre for once, and it hasn't hasn't really gotten through to, to Mitch's uh, Twitter feed. Yeah, so he gave up five and four, and it's just you can't do that, right? But it's okay. He got them to the end of the game, and that's what matters. Yeah, he did not make no them got hurt. a real arm. Um, so, okay, so... You put if if Espinal and Guriel are healthy, do you put them both on the playoff roster? Yeah, I assume so. Um, I, again, it's it's such a hard thing for me to kind of weigh in on because you know I don't know anything about their injuries or how they're responding or what kind of level of effectiveness they can get to on the field. But um, if they're anything close to you know the players they've been this year, I think you have to put them on the field. Or on the roster. Yeah. And I especially think you need someone, whether it's one or both of them, who you can trust to go take in a bat against a left-handed pitcher. You know, like, it, say, even if they're not healthy enough to start or not, you know, timed up enough to start or whatever, right? Say you're playing, you know, you're, you're in a game and, and in a late, you started Tapia and a lefty reliever comes in in the seventh. You can't let Tapia bat, but you can't pinch it with Jackie Bradley Jr. or Bradley Zimmer. <laughs> you know, it's like you need someone who can actually bat right-handed and hit, and both Aspinall and Lourdes can hit left-handed pitching very well. So I think that's a really valuable thing to have on the roster, even if they're not playing. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I, you know, I like to watch uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. in the outfield. Um but yeah, those two guys are amazingly inept uh, when it comes to putting a bat in their hands. Something about Zimmer Jr. I don't think the the Mariners have any left-handed relievers, or or like um, at least like high leverage lefty relievers. Like Castillo's right-handed. Well, then even starting Robbie Ray, well, right? Like it, yeah, right. It, it, just so you can have you can throw. Like I said, you could put Espinal at second and throw Merrifield in the outfield. Yeah. Just because you just don't want Ryan Maltapia playing against a left-handed pitcher. Oh no, they got Matt Boyd, who they've been using as a, as a as a setup guy of late. So mm -hmm. there you go. There's your lefty reliever. Okay, so I don't know if this is the right time to bring this up, but over the last few days, 
I've been thinking about this, and I think there's a really strong case for having uh, Gabby Moreno on the roster over one of those uh, defensive replacement outfielders like like Jackie Bradley or Bradley Zimmer. Um, I just think his contact skills, he's not slow. He allows them to be more flexible with how they use Kirk and Jansen, who it seems like absolutely both need to be in the lineup as of you know how they're playing right now. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys think that's asking too much of a 23-year-old or 20. Is that how old Gabby Moreno is? But I don't think it matters. He's not going to play. No, right. they could. They couldn't use him all September until they were they were out. So they don't they don't believe Gabby Moreno has a spot. Well, well, but I'm actually somewhat agreeing with Nick, in the sense of, I mean, it'll be interesting how they handle it because there are limited rosters. You can't have 28 men anymore, but they also don't need as many pitchers. So, the value of Moreno is that you can DH Jansen in Game One. Because Jansen is their best hitter right now, and so you want his bat in the lineup, but Kirk catches Moreno, catches Manoa. Problem with that is if Jansen DH, you cannot pinch run for Alejandro Kirk late in the game if you don't have another catcher. 4D chess from Josh. Everybody write this down. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing I think Moreno brings is, like, he does have a high contact rate, and, like, I don't know if this is just ancillary anger from watching the 2015 Royals beat the Jays. But having those guys who can make contact against, I mean, we're going to see a Mariners bullpen where there's like four guys humping in like 98 plus, like having those guys who can make contact and aren't going to swing and miss, I think can be helpful, even though. I just yeah. don't think they're going to, he's going to hit. They get, I, I don't think there's any real scenario where they send Gabby Moreno up to pinch hit. Just because they haven't done it all September, as as Greg was saying. Yeah. But it, why, why haven't they? Like, I don't know. I, I I don't have an answer for that. We we complained about that on the podcast, and then he played the next day, of course. But <laughs> we we complained <laughs> that he was there and he wasn't playing, and then he got a start. But uh, but I, I just think that if you want to have your best lineup out there, Jansen has to be in it every day. And therefore, it gives you a little more flexibility. And the back, the back guy in your run, like Moreno is fast. You can use him as a pinch runner. Oh, totally. So the back guys on your roster are all about flexibility, whether it's defense or pitching or pinch running, whatever. So I think if, if there is room and doesn't require bumping off someone who's actually going to play, he's got to be there. Would you take him over one of Zimmer or Bradley Jr.? I only, you only need one of them. I'd say Bradley Jr. is gone. Interesting. Because um, Bradley Jr. isn't a good pinch runner, and Zimmer is. Bradley, right. Bradley Jr. is pretty slow. He is, but he's also a much better hitter than... But if this guy's getting in a bat, you've already screwed up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I hope they don't listen to this podcast. Uh, so uh, the dark horse candidate from Nick is uh, Ad Moreno to the roster. Find a way to get him on there. Do you have a dark horse candidate, Josh, for the roster? Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, I think that the, all the people, I, I don't think there's any chance Otto Lopez makes the team. I think Zach Pop was a bubble guy and he's really changed that over the last month and he's going to be on for sure. Kikuchi is my, I guess my, my bubble guy or surprise guy. I think Kikuchi's on the roster. Is because that he, he strikes out a billion lefty? people. Yes to both of you. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the, okay, yeah, I know the, how this the, is the recorded, mirror? and the people are not going to be able to hear that. So, Nick, your reason was? As the second lefty. And I, I said, so, because he strikes out a billion people. Go ahead, Josh. Right. And, and the, the Mariners have, so they can put out a lineup that's four lefties and four switch hitters when they're all healthy. And the Jays use, uh, they use Richards kind of as a second lefty, just with his, with his changeup arsenal. But having another guy, in case you need it, who can strike out those left-handed batters, because Kikuchi dominates left-handed batters. Despite his horrible all-season numbers, he has just made lefties look horrible. So I think he's on the team. All right. We will see uh, in, what, 24 hours? Something like that? Uh, they have until Friday morning at 10 a.m., uh, 48 hours ish. Uh, all right. I think we've nailed the roster construction. We've talked a great deal about how, what got us here and where we're about to go, but the people have questions. Well, they have at least one question and, uh, we're going to come back in a couple of minutes and we are going to answer said question right after this. And we are back for the most compelling part of our podcast, because it doesn't just involve us talking about one another to one another. It is where we answer your question. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? There are many ways to get us a question, Josh. How did we get this first question? So this was sent in via DM to Twitter account. Technically to mine, but last time used the Twitter account. This is from Sarah Clark at Cheer for Sarah. Buck had some strong words about how guys need to play hard and smart on a consistent basis. But then he stated that Schneider is the guy to fix it. Can you help me understand this argument? Schneider had many of these guys for a substantial part of their minor league years and has been there for their entire MLB time. Hasn't he had years to, quote, hold people accountable. And then Sarah adds that this is not a knock against Schneider or any of the players, just trying to understand Buck's logic. Okay, first of all, I will start with Buck has specious logic at best um, in terms of when the players play sloppy, Buck immediately reverts to, well, it wasn't like that back in my day. So take take whatever he says with a grain of salt because it absolutely was like that back in his day. Um, you can't be on the ball for all 162 games. But I think what he's trying to say is you need a manager uh, who has the respect of the players and has a has a good rapport with them in, in able to give them both praise and um, and correction. And uh, Charlie Montoyo may or may not have been able to do that, uh, but because he has the logic here is because he has grown up with them as players um, that Schneider uh, has had this talk with them before. So it's, if it's a matter of refocusing um, it, it will not be the first time that they have heard it from him and they have accepted his guidance and they have won under him before in the minor leagues. So in terms of the guy to do it, um, I think that's Buck Buck is assuming that the, the longstanding relationship is a good one and that he already has their respect. So he doesn't have to start from scratch with them. Nick? Nick? Yeah, I think this stuff just gets the idea that the the Jays players are making more mental mistakes than other teams is 
it's kind of like a tenuous thing to make because it's just most people who are watching the Jays and will notice mistakes like that aren't watching any other teams. Um, you know, I know one one player that I kind of follow fairly closely is like Ronald Acuna Jr. And he has made just as many of these mental mistakes as as Vlad or or any of the Jays young players. And I think ultimately these these errors are going to happen. I don't, you know, obviously they shouldn't happen in the postseason, but I I just I just don't really I would just guess that they're not really you can't play like mental error mental mistake free baseball for six months of the year. You know, like it's 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 not possible, I don't think. I totally agree. Um the Jays do lead the league in runners thrown out trying to take an extra base. So Schneider did have a thing to say or it's like these guys need to understand their speed a little bit better, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> which I thought was really funny. But, is that uh, though mental mistakes, or is that just a byproduct of being aggressive and both. maybe having to learn how to? When you're thrown out by twenty feet, it's a mental mistake, right? Yeah, but yeah. but anyway, I, or I, just I, overconfidence. I, that's a mental mistake. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Um. I, anyway, I, I I totally agree with you guys. So we we can move on. All right. Um, from yesterday, the early question from Sam Dowdle at Sam Dowdle. Should we be nervous just how shallow our starting pitching is leading into the postseason? I think we sort of touched on this, but Josh, uh, hit it up. A little, maybe. I mean, for the first series, no, because they've got three guys that have pitched very well. It doesn't matter. Uh, and if someone gets hurt in a game, well, it's in a game and you're not having another starter go in anyway. For the next few series, well, the ALCS, ALDS, if they get there, you know, you're going to be a little nervous when Brio takes the mound just because it's been very trick or treat. Like you just, you just don't know what you're getting with Brio's, but he has a track record and he might be good. The ALCS has a weird thing in the schedule where if you make game seven, you need a fifth starter, which I can't remember the last time anyone needed a fifth starter in the postseason. but there's no off days between games three and five and seven, but they would just throw a starter on short rest. Nobody is pitching their fifth starter in the postseason, So I think it's fine. Any other thoughts, Nick? I think a fifth, star, like the back of the rotation matters just in general, less in the playoffs than in, in the regular season. So if yeah. there's one, you know, the Jays arguably biggest weakness is going to matter the least now compared yeah. to uh, some other teams. Indeed. 100%. Yeah, like for example, the Mariners, they will not be able to start one of Ray Gilbert, Gilbert or Kirby in the first round. Or, and then they have Marco Gonzalez as their five. The Jays are starting their three best, and they're just as good as the Mariners' three, if not better. It doesn't matter that the Mariners' four or five are better than the Blue Jays because they're not going to pitch. Indeed. Um, next question. ADGE at Adrian Chrysostim uh, has two questions. Yeah. Uh, over Between under. The 0.5 base hits for Jackie Bradley Zimmer Jr. in the Mariners' series. That's under. two. two yeah. <laughs> <laughs> easy under <laughs> easy under um yeah even if they were playing to, to stark uh i'm i'm taking the under you uh you got the under or the over there my friend nick yeah i'll take i'll take the under unless the over is paying like way way yeah like paying a ton yeah There's the over under is always set at neutral come on oh yeah <laughs> uh, i don't gamble enough to know that sorry <laughs> over under for uh a home run for or half a home run for uh, Merrifield, uh, Biggio, Tapia, and Kirk. 
I'm taking the over. Nick? Oh, yeah, I'd take the over on that. I would take the over, too. I mean, one of those guys can run into one, right? Yep. Totally. L and Ellie Ellie Hart. Uh, I don't think this is a question, but I always uh, nice to know that we have an effect on people. So thank you, Al, for um, for writing into us and saying the following. As we reach the end of the season, I just wanted to say as a person who's utterly incapable of maintaining a healthy balance of reading the deluge of terrible news, and you are not alone, Al, uh, you guys have provided a little happy place to retreat to with each episode, and it means the world. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Um, and, we, and also, thank you for constantly contributing to the show with really smart and insightful questions. You've added a lot to it on your own. So we're, we're glad you enjoy it, but we're also glad you've made us better. Yeah. When, when the question section is is empty, um, we are sometimes at a loss as to, uh, you know, what, what angle we should be taking. So it's always nice to, to have a contribution from you folks out there. And the last question for this week, anyway, I'm sure we'll have playoff questions. Howie says... At says underscore Howie, you have caught Aaron Judge's 60-second home run ball. Holy crap, we have? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, what do you do with it? Uh, would you do anything different if it were Pujol's 700th home run ball? And thanks for another great podcast season. Go Jays. Go Jays indeed. Nick, there it is. Newsflash, you have caught Aaron Judge's 60-second home run ball. Oh, I would I would give it to them. It means it would mean so much more to them than than me. I'm not a I'm not a person who has like a lot of like stuff like that that I keep, you know. Uh, oh, like, I wouldn't keep either one of them, but I'd sell them yeah. for as yeah. much as I could get. Cash yeah, money, baby. Yeah, yeah uh, I guess I guess there is the money. Uh, how much was one how much would one of those balls get you? People were saying upwards of 2 million dollars. Oh, okay, yeah. It would be hard not to hard not to sell. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my generosity got in the way of these huge dollar signs that just popped up in my eyes. It's very weird. I mean, for literally life changing money, I'm I, oh, yeah. I, I, like, it's cool for them to get their ball back. The Cardinals or the Yankees can pay me the money and put and, and, and match it to a charitable with a charitable donation to my charity of choice. Yeah. Everybody wins except the teams, which I mean, we don't need the teams to win. They make lots of money mm -hmm. anyway. Uh, I would not make any difference between uh, Judge's 60-second home run, which I would just like to emphasize is the American League record, um, <laughs> and, uh, and and Albert Pujols' oh, 700th home run ball. I got an idea. If if I caught Judge's 60-second home run ball, I'd and I was going to give it back, I'd ask for a signed ball by Barry Bonds. <laughs> 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 that's, that's the only only currency I will accept as payment is a, a signed is, ball that no, you know, it has to say it's like Barry Bonds signed and then home run champ signed by Aaron Judge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, that's horrible and amazing all at the same time. That's I'm a hundred percent here for that. Oh my goodness! All right, we are going to move to. Um, Sorry, do we have a gold star? Of course we have a gold star. We were just talking about what was going to get us the gold star. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. Has anyone ever made 700 home runs look easy? In their um, final Barry Bonds kind of did. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, Barry Bonds. And immediately followed by Albert. No, you're not getting there. Oh my gosh, yes, you are, Pujols. Uh, Josh, this was your topic. Uh, what have you? Okay, so in the first half of the season, Albert Pujols had six home runs, and he was hitting 215 with a 301 on base and a 376 slugging. 
he looks very much like the guy who was done for the last four years in Los Angeles. Over the last 56 games since the All-Star break, he has hit 323 with a 388 on base and a 715 slugging and 18 home runs. And I think it was from 697 to 700. We're all either to tie the game or put the Cardinals into the lead. He did it in style. And he did it with ease. Like he blew past it. And I'm just, it was just so awesome. I'm so happy that he got there. Um, he is the second most runs batted in of all time behind Babe Ruth. He is what the fourth person. Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron, sorry. Uh, fourth person. He passed Babe Ruth, I believe. Uh, he, he is the fourth person ever to hit 700 home runs. Um, it, it It is so much nicer that I think we're going to remember his career for this last year in St. Louis than for him and his really cursed time with the Angels. You, you want to know a funny one? If you put him on the Blue Jays, he would have the highest OPS on the team. <laughs> well, so we should wow. trade. We should have traded for him at the deadline. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, Albert, if if there was, you know, if there is a way to do it better, we don't know what it was. You can come get your gold star. I mean, you're retired now. You can come get it anytime. You're not really on a schedule. Wow, he's, he's got a couple playoff games to play. But other than that, he's not really on a schedule. Uh, also very cool that, uh, did you see the other night, Molina, Pujols, and Wainwright all walked off at the same time? Yeah, that was very neat. It, it is those moments in baseball that you, uh, I, I do treasure, even for teams I am not particularly a fan of. Um, are we prepared for a do-over? Oops, yeah. said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> But what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... More teams in the playoffs. It has to be more exciting, right, Nick? It's supposed to be. (laughs) And and yet, September was very meh. Other than, I mean, if you were a Mets fan, I guess it was kind of okay until the last day. But even um, that was unchanged. The only thing that mattered, the only race that was changed at all was the Phillies and the Brewers had something to sort of play for this past weekend. That's it. The Jays have had a playoff spot locked up for a month. Yep. And and home field advantage, is, as, as many times as you can trumpet it, is not very exciting. No. It's not exciting. Like it, It's really valuable to the team. Well, Nick was going to get into why it might not be as valuable as we think in a second, but... It's it's very valuable to the team and to the fan base to have those games at home. But when you're talking about the pressure and the excitement level of a postseason run in September, last year's 30,000 fans in September was way louder and way more energized than this year's 40,000, 42,000. Because, yeah, it would have been fun to to maybe catch the Yankees. But by the time the Yankees came here, the Jays were well behind. It would have been fun to get home field, but yeah, if they don't get home field, they're still in the postseason. So it's just sort of like, all right, yeah, they won. And there's this Yankees fan who's saying, these fans only cheer when they score. And it was kind of funny, um, but he wasn't wrong because right now there just wasn't enough to get the fans energized because the game didn't really matter. If they yeah. did, but they didn't. And in in terms of the Jays, getting home field you know we were talking about this last time i saw you josh like i think the path to the world series is actually much easier for 
Tampa, who's going to get the third wild card series because they're going to play Cleveland, and then if they beat Cleveland, play the Yankees, as opposed to the first two wild cards who are seated higher because they're going to have to play Houston, um, which feels like you know almost like, like a like playing the best team in baseball. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the American League, so and this this problem exists in the National League too. If you're the Phillies or the Padres, you don't want to win at all. You because if you if you finish second, you have to play the Mets and then the Dodgers, who won 110 games. And it's just a veer. They they have to fix this problem. The way it's seated, it, they bracketed it for some stupid reason, so that. It's like the idea is that the top seed wins every round. So the number three being the third division winner is supposed to beat that six team. But that's not how baseball works. They absolutely yeah. should reseed after every round. I feel I like it, I feel like this is an argument that they had like a decade ago in hockey. Yeah. I don't know if this is like too simple or doesn't get enough teams in, but like my preference would have just been to have the same format as they had last year with the two wild cards, but just that make that a five game series as well. Like the division series. Well, the whole idea was to add extra postseason series, right? For, for extra the extra teams that that's what well, they wanted by an extra series, right? Cause there's, a, yeah. there's now two, two wild card series instead of your proposed one. But the, like, it, given this, this format, right? Which it is what it is fine. Like you have this wild card round with three games and then a buy for the top two, just recede. Like it's so simple. Right. If you it, if you beat the Cardinals, you shouldn't play the Dodgers. <laughs> you should yeah, play the the worst remaining team. Yeah, you you proved Sorry, you were the best team by team. beating the Cardinals. <laughs> that was what yeah. you did. <laughs> you, you proved that you deserve that three seed, right? So uh, yep. it's just it's it's very poorly constructed, and they need to address it because it created this this thing where. It was way, way worse to finish fifth than sixth. And that's just not, it should never be that way. If only somehow they could have seen it coming. Ha ha. All right. Uh, I think we all agree there. We don't like the playoff format. I also don't like the fact that they, quote unquote, needed another playoff series. Like, stop. It was baseball. It was kind of special because not everybody made the playoffs. Uh, nevertheless, Josh, I invite you at this time of the podcast to offer me a final thought if you have one. Yeah. So the, they're about to start the final game of the season, regular season game. I was kind of hoping that Otto Lopez wouldn't play it <laughs> because Otto <laughs> Lopez is entering this game. He's four for four with a walk. He would be only the third player ever to have at least five plate appearances in a season and bat a thousand. And now he's got to go hit a thousand in this game too. And if he does it, that's awesome. And he'll have the most plate appearances in a season where he batted a thousand because <laughs> no one's done it with more than five. Um, good luck, Otto Lopez. <laughs> and also just generally, I'm really happy he's getting at bats because Otto Lopez is a really good hitter and he's just been on the roster doing nothing like Gabriel Moreno. <laughs> Uh, Josh, uh, sorry, not Josh, Nick, the other guy. Um, do you have a final thought for me? I do. Um, with the MVP race in the American League, uh, and not to open this up because I know Josh and I have literally talked about this for like an hour before, um, I would just like to present my argument for why I still think Otani should be the MVP. I fully acknowledge Aaron Judge is having a historic offensive season uh, this year, but I, I think the way given 
they're they're so close. I think the way I would consider it is, you know, the playoffs are starting on Friday. If you could have one player on your team between, if you could ask all all the teams in the playoffs if they could have one player, you could either add Judge or Otani to your team. Who are you adding? I think it would be almost unanimous. People would add Otani, uh, and I think that might be like a kind of like a different way than getting kind of like mired in war and all that stuff. Just to, a question, to just to reframe it. your question, just because I, yeah. I want to make your answer clear for our listeners. Yeah. If you could get Aaron Judge and he's going to hit on average the way he has hit all season and Otani who has pitched and hit the way he has all season, not the player, but their numbers. If you're getting that prorated over, the, would your answer still be the same? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make yeah. that part clearer because obviously, yeah, yeah. like, everyone would take Otani over Judge just because what Judge is doing never, it's not sustainable. So right, I just want right, to make yeah, sure yeah. that was clear. Yeah. No, you know, yeah. He, just this year's, you know, the version of Otani that's like fifth in the league in ERA and slugging, or his OPS is like, you know, 890 or whatever it is. And then versus Judge's, you know, 1.2 OPS kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, anyway, because uh, I, I think, just getting lost because it's just like the more someone does something, the less special people think it is. But I think we're watching something insane with, with Shohei Otani. And I just hope, hope we all appreciate it as much as we should. Tungsten Armo Doyle says, sends his regards. Uh, Josh, <laughs> yeah. final I thought. I gave you mine already. Come on. I don't have a final thought. My final thought is you guys should have final thoughts. Um, good luck to the Toronto Blue Jays in the 2022 playoffs, however the ridiculous bracketing may uh, shake out for them. I have been oh, great. Sorry, whoa, whoa, no, no, there you go. I've got another one for you. I think the Jays are better than Houston. Ooh. If the Jays get there, I think they'll beat them. On that hot take, I'm going to send us into the sunset. I have been Greg Wazowski at Coolhead2010, and you have been Nick Dyka at Nick Dyka and Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem. And this has been episode number 249 of Artificial Turf Wars, and we will talk at you next week. <laughs>